exist to see God glorified and disciples multiplied through the power of the gospel. It's great to be here this morning uh, to worship the Lord with you, and it's a privilege to bring forth the Word of God. I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 11, and then we'll also enter briefly into the first three verses of chapter 6. So Hebrews 5, 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. I want you to consider for just a moment uh, sleeping in church. Of course... <laughs> I don't want you to go to sleep during the service here, but just think about sleeping, uh, particularly during the preaching. Now, certainly this would never have been a problem for you. Of course, my dad pastored this church for a number of years, and so I guess I've, I've heard a few stories about that. But this has been a problem for pastors since Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul is preaching and Eutychus is sitting kind of in the window and falls asleep during the sermon and... Uh, dies for at least a time. Back in the 1700s, the Puritan churches throughout the New England area felt that the problem of sleeping during church was so bad that it really had to be dealt with. And so many churches actually hired someone to deal with this problem. He was called the tithing man. Now, this wasn't somebody who looked to make sure you were giving what you needed to give, your tithes, but the tithing man actually was hired to walk about the church on the Lord's Day, and he would have a long rod. And often on one end of the rod, there was something light, like a little piece of a feather, uh, a piece of fur. And for those that were slightly dozing, you give them a little brush, a little tap, and uh, that'll keep them awake. On the other end of the rod was something much harder, something like a, maybe a piece of uh, stone, perhaps even a tack. Now, this was not just for those who were dozing off. This was for those who were just, you know, repeat offenders, perhaps, or really just conked out. All right, they were just sleeping, and then you would use it to really prick them or give them a whack on the hand. I want to read a letter from a churchgoer in the mid-1700s, Obadiah Turner. This is what he included in his journal after a particular Sunday. Turner writes in his journal, he says, Alan Bridges was chosen to wake the sleepers in worship, and being very proud of his position, he had a foxtail fixed to the end of a long staff with which he may brush the faces of them that nap during the sermon. Likewise, a sharp thorn on the other end of the staff, whereby he may prick those as sleep most sound. On the last Lord's Day, as he strutted about the meeting house, he did spy Mr. Tomlins sleeping with much comfort. His head kept steady by being in the corner and his hand grasping the rail. And so spying, Alan did quickly thrust his staff into him with a most grievous prick upon the hand, whereupon Mr. Tomlins did spring up much above the floor, and with terrible force he struck his hand against the wall. And also to a great wonder of all, he profanely exclaimed in a loud voice, and declared, he said, Curse ye woodchuck. He had been dreaming so, and it seemed as though a woodchuck had seized his hand and bit him. <laughs> On coming to know where he was, however, and the great scandal that he had committed, he seemed much abashed, but did not speak. And I think he will not soon again go to sleep in worship. <laughs> now, as much as falling asleep during church is a problem, when we come to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through verse 3 of chapter 6, what we're going to see 
and not just here, but also in the prophets of the Old Testament, the major prophets, the minor prophets, and we see that the problem of spiritual slumber is far greater. So sleeping in the service, okay, it's a problem enough, but falling asleep to the things of God, falling asleep to the things of the Holy Spirit, slumbering before the things of the Word of God, this is a far greater problem. Spiritual lethargy has become a serious problem in the church today, and if that's you, if that's me, perhaps at times in our lives we need someone to come along with that rod of the Word of God and give us a most grievous prick upon the heart so that we would wake up to the things of God, so that we think about our own spiritual lives and say, you know, I need to get my mind in gear. I need to get serious about the Word of God. I need to think about my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to think about my involvement in the church. I need to think about my prayer life. I need to think about my evangelism. I've been dozing off to these things. And so let's, it's time to wake up. So we need the Word of God to give us, again, a good prick on the heart. Here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, the preacher of Hebrews. Now remember... The book of Hebrews was initially a sermon that was preached to a congregation. It was then written down and distributed to various congregations. So this was initially a sermon, and so the preacher of Hebrews in verse 11 of chapter 5 tells us what the problem is in the congregation that he's been speaking to. The problem is, he says, they have become, and here it is, dull of hearing. The word dull there literally means sluggish, means lethargic, sleepy. So he says to the congregation, he says, this is the issue that I see in you. And he says, that is that you have become dull of hearing. You're starting to doze off in spiritual matters. So look at the text with me, if you would. Chapter 5, verse 11. The author of Hebrews says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Now, he's just mentioned Melchizedek. And Jesus being a priest, not in the line of Aaron, not of the tribe of Levi, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He says, I've got a lot to say on that. It's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then into chapter 6, he says, Therefore, so based upon that, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And that final conclusion is really a statement that he assumes is true. That if your desire is to grow in the Lord, if your desire is to grow into maturity in the things of God, then this is certainly something that God will permit. And this is something that certainly for all of God's children, God will permit. Now up until this point in the book of Hebrews, the preacher hasn't actually told them what the problem is. Normally, in a sermon, you're going to push one primary idea. You maybe have a lot of supporting points, but you're pushing one point. All right, now, he's pushing one major point in the book of Hebrews, and that is that you are to consider Christ, you are to think about Jesus, you are to look unto Jesus, you are to cling to Jesus. So over and over again in Hebrews, he says, consider Jesus, look to Jesus. But why is he so forceful on that point? What is the problem in their lives? 
So up until this point, he hasn't stated the problem. He's hinted at it. He's implied it. He's given some ideas. Consider the many warnings in Hebrews, the many admonitions the preacher gives. Chapter 2, verse 1, he, say, he says to them, pay much closer attention. What's he saying? He's saying, focus. Right. Think about this. Listen. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider him or consider Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, don't harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 12, he's telling them to watch out. He says, watch out lest you fall away. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, fear lest you fail to enter into God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, strive to enter into God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 14, hold fast your confession. So he's given them all of these admonitions to think about, to consider, to look to Jesus, and to put effort into it. And so why is he giving them these admonitions? I mean, these are all pressing concerns. It's clear that the author of Hebrews is seriously concerned about the spiritual state of this congregation. These are serious imperatives. Now, in all these exhortations, though, he is simply telling them what they need to do. Consider Jesus. That's what you do, but he hasn't said what the problem is. Now, in chapter 5, he says this is the problem. This is the disease, he says, that is afflicting the congregation that he's writing to, that he's preaching to. He says they have become dull of hearing. So behind all of the admonitions you see in the book of Hebrews... When you go back to, uh, forward to chapter 12, you know, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of it, behind all of these admonitions to consider Christ and hold fast to Christ is this problem that has afflicted them, and they are dull of hearing. The Greek word for dull is the Greek word nothros. Nothros literally means no push. No push. The idea is no effort due to sleepiness. All right? It is to be a spiritual dozer. If you are nothros... It means you have fallen asleep before the things of God. He uses the same word in chapter 6, verse 12. The word's translated in the English Standard Version as sluggish. He says in verse 11 of chapter 6, We desire that each one of you show the same earnestness. Earnestness, that's the opposite of nothros. All right, in other words, you're putting effort into this. Show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, he's talking about spiritual sleepiness then. There are many different ways that we could become spiritually sleepy in our lives. Maybe you're not applying yourself in loving others. You've dozed off when it comes to really loving others with the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sleepy in the sense that you are not putting any effort into prayer. The Bible tells us that we're to pray without ceasing. The Bible even says you're to be wrestling in your prayers. It involves effort. It involves work. So maybe you've become a spiritual dozer in the things of prayer. Maybe it's evangelism. In evangelism, you have fallen asleep. What is the particular issue here in chapter 5 that the author of Hebrews is addressing? Well, think about the context. In chapters 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews argues that Christ is greater than the prophets... Christ is greater than the angels. In chapter 3, Christ is greater than Moses. Now, when he says that Christ is greater than the prophets, he explains that. When Christ, he says, is greater than the angels, he explains what that means. He explains what, how that matters. When he talks about Christ in chapter 3 being greater than Moses, he tells us how so. And in chapter 4, Christ is greater than Joshua. Christ gives us greater rest. And then in chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10, he's arguing that Christ is greater than all of the Old Testament priests. 
Every Old Testament priest, as great as they may have been or as bad as they may have been, Christ is far, Christ is infinitely greater than all those priests. And he explains it. Now, in chapter 5, verse 6, and in verse 10 of chapter 5, the author of Hebrews mentions that Jesus is a priest after the order of, not Aaron, right, not a Levitical priest. You see that often in the Old Testament. You've recently gone through the book of Leviticus. Jesus is not a priest in the order of Levi, in the order of Aaron, but Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek's a very mysterious figure. He pops up very briefly in Genesis chapter 14, and then he disappears, not mentioned again in the Old Testament until Psalm 110, where he's only mentioned in one verse. And then you don't see him anywhere else in the Old Testament. So it's, there's very little known about Melchizedek. But the other Hebrews explains all these things about Moses. They know all about Moses. He explains a lot of things about Joshua. They know about Joshua, about the Old Testament priests. They know all about that. But now Melchizedek's mentioned this very mysterious figure. So what would you expect the author of Hebrews to do when he mentions Melchizedek? You'd expect him to say, okay, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you why that matters. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. In verse 11, he completely switches to something different. And he tells us, he says, look, the Melchizedek issue, that needs to be explained. And in fact, when you get to chapter 7 of Hebrews, basically the whole of the chapter is about the importance of Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek. But here, he doesn't discuss Melchizedek. Why? He says, i got to stop for a second because I'm concerned that you're not listening. I'm concerned that you're not going to grasp the issue here of Jesus' superior priesthood, what Jesus does for you, how Jesus intercedes for you, how Jesus accomplishes the whole of your salvation. I'm, I don't think you're going to get it because you are dull of hearing. You've turned your mind off to these things. You're not listening. So all of this stuff about Christ's priesthood, about Christ's sacrifice, about Melchizedek, the author of Hebrews is telling us that it's weighty, that it requires thinking, that it's not for the theological sluggard. And so here in verse 11 through the end of the chapter, he takes a few moments. He pauses to offer a rebuke to them. Look at verse 11. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. In other words, he says, look, this is very important. I'm going to explain it. But I can't do that now because, he says, you all need to wake up. He says you have to get your minds in gear or you're not going to see the importance of these truths. You're not going to see the glories of these realities. He says there is something else here that has to be addressed first before we start talking about Melchizedek. And he's just telling them, he's saying, wake up. Wake up to the things of God. Now, something similar happens in the book of Jude. Of course, the book of Jude is very short. Usually in the Bible, it's, it's contained on one page alone. And remember how Jude begins the epistle. He says, look, I wanted to write to you just to talk about our common salvation. I want to just talk about our unity in the faith. But I, couldn't, I can't do that right now. There's something pressing. And I need to tell you this. You need to contend earnestly for the faith. So in other words, I wanted to talk about this. I can't now. I got to address this. It's a more pressing matter. He's saying here, I want to talk about Melchizedek more. That's vital. But I can't because you're sleeping. So then think about this. Why don't they understand the things of Melchizedek? Why don't they understand the things of Christ's superior priesthood? It's not because they can't understand. The problem isn't that these theological concepts are so weighty. 
It's not that these theological concepts are so deep and they're just not quite smart enough to figure it out. It's not that their intelligence is lacking. The problem, he says, is that they haven't gotten their minds in gear. Unless they wake up and start using their minds, they're going to miss out on seeing so much of these glories of Christ. If you don't think about the things contained in the scriptures, you're going to miss on seeing the wonders of the gospel. So Paul tells Timothy, consider what I say. Consider it. Think about it. Use your mind and may the Lord give you understanding. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine and I climbed some of the White Mountains in New Hampshire. And uh, boy, it was a long hike. Great hike, but long. And uh, you get to the top and then, you know, you're exhausted and just, you know, straining for breath. And other people up at the summit as well, the same thing, you know, huffing and puffing. But you know what people always say? I mean, they're sore. But they always say, well, when they see that great view, they say it was worth it. And actually, just a few months ago when I was up here visiting, uh, Pastor Taylor and myself and then Pastor Andrew Larson of Northville, the Baptist Church in Northville, we climbed Crane Mountain. Now, Crane Mountain uh, over in Thurman is not one of the longer hikes in the Adirondacks. It's only about four and a half miles, but it's a very difficult hike because it's quite steep. At a lot of mountains, you know, you start out, it's kind of light, you know, and it's just a slight incline. But Crane Mountain, I mean, you're just like going right up, all right? And there's a lot of rocks, all right? And uh, this time, a lot of ice, so it's difficult. So anyway, the three of us, we climbed Crane, and, you know, we were doing that, right? The huffing and puffing. And, uh, you, but, but you get to the top, and you see that wonderful vista, and you can, you can overlook all the lakes and streams and all, you see all these other mountains and it's like, wow. You know, and you're tired and you're exhausted, but it's like, yes, it absolutely was worth it. A lot of people are never going to see a view like that because they're not willing to put the work in. They're not willing to strain away, all right, to, to put the effort in and get to the summit. But what do they miss when they don't do that? They miss the glorious view and so it is with the things of God Seeing the glorious truths of Christ's priesthood, really understanding the intricacies of the gospel, seeing the beauty of Christ's person and work, that's absolutely wonderful. It is awe-inspiring. It is majestic. But you won't see it, the author of Hebrews says, unless you wake up, unless you use your mind and think deeply about the things of God, dive deep into the scriptures. All right, listen to this. Do not be content with a superficial knowledge of God. The message of the author of Hebrews could simply be, well, you know what? All that matters is this. God loves you. has a wonderful plan for your life. Let's move on to something else. Now, that, that could be the whole message. That's not, wait a second. There's way more. There's way more. There are intricacies of the gospel. There are depths. You need to use your mind and dive deep into the scriptures. Do not be content with a superficial knowledge of God. But so many people, that's where they are. All that matters is God loves me, and I don't need anything else. That sounds spiritual. The preacher of Hebrews says it is immensely, it is profoundly unbiblical. You see, the Bible's thick, right? God's message to us is not simply, well, I love you, have a wonderful plan for your life. Of course, that's not even true unless you're actually talking to a child of God. So the, the, the Bible's message is profound. It is deep. The Bible's thick and weighty. There are depths to the word of God, treasures in the minds of Scripture. Question is for you, are you willing to plunge into those depths? Are you willing to mine the riches of God's word to see these glories? It takes work. It takes effort, absolutely. But in the end, 
it's all worth it. So how do you do that, though? Well, consider a few points. When you listen to a sermon, listen intently. When you read the scriptures, right, focus your mind. Pray before you read. Ask God to show you the truths of his word. Ask God to show you the glories of Christ through his word. When you read the scriptures, read with intentionality. When you sing hymns, these hymns that we've already sang today, so these are filled with great glorious truths. They, they're filled with great doctrinal truths as well. So it's so easy, isn't it, to sing a song that you know well. We say, trust and obey. You say, I've known that for decades and decades. And so we sing that on autopilot and never think about the truths that are being communicated. So when we sing, sing with thought. Use your heart, but also your mind. Now, when he talks about Melchizedek in this book and then rebukes them and says, look, the problem is you're not listening. You don't understand the things of Melchizedek because you're not listening. What I want to say as well on this, if you're here today and you're a new believer, uh, you haven't been saved for that long, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know, then I guess I got a problem because I don't have a clue about this Melchizedek stuff. I don't know anything about that. And uh, that's way beyond me. And, you know, and, and, and you're a new believer. Well, that, that, the author of Hebrews is not rebuking you for that as a new believer. The problem is here, though, he's not talking to new believers. He's talking to those people who have been saved for a very long time. They're not new converts. Look at verse 12 to 13. He says to them, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. He's saying to them, you should be able to teach others these truths, but you don't even know these truths yourselves. You don't understand these things yourself. And the issue here when he says you should be teaching others, he's not talking about a formal teaching position. All right, I think the idea here is that Christians should be able to teach less mature Christians the things of God. He's not talking about the office of pastor, or elder. He's not talking about a formal Sunday school teaching position like that. All right, I have known many faithful men and women of God, and they are really good teachers of the things of the word. They'll never get up and teach a lesson in a Sunday school class. They'll never get up and preach a sermon because they're just not comfortable doing that. But they really teach others, their family members, their, their neighbors, their friends. They can teach them the great truths of the scriptures well. He's saying mature Christians then should be able to teach others the things of God. In other words, as you grow in the faith, you're able to disciple others in the faith. You're able to help them grow up in their knowledge of God. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians. We are to always be increasing in the knowledge of God. These believers that the author of Hebrews is preaching to, they've not been increasing in the knowledge of God. They are supposed to be mature adults in the word. Instead, they are children in the word. Now look at the text again. He says, I have to teach you again. So in other words, not only did they not build on what they had heard previously, they didn't even remember it. It had to be taught to them again and again. Again, why is that? Well, because they're dull of hearing. Their minds are dozing. So you have to examine your life. This is something that all of us need to do on a regular basis. Examine our hearts, examine our minds, and make sure that we're actually engaged in this work of growing in the knowledge of God. Ask ourselves, are we internalizing the truths of the gospel or just superficially listening? There's a big difference between, you know, yeah, I heard the sermon versus, yeah, I really listened. There's a big difference between, yeah, I read the Bible today versus, you know, I immersed myself in the scriptures. 
So are we actually internalizing the fundamentals of the gospel and building upon that, or are we just hearing it, but it, you know, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other? The problem is they have to relearn the fundamentals of the faith. And once you come to faith in Christ, you need to engage in the lifelong process of, as Paul says, increasing in the knowledge of God. That is, you need to dive into the depths of who God is, who Christ is, what Christ has done. That's necessary. You know, imagine if I went to a, uh, a fancy steakhouse and uh, the waiter came over and, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it's my birthday and I've been looking forward to this meal for a very long time. And the waiter says, great. You know, what would you like? And I say, you know, uh, well, I'd like a glass of milk. Uh, put it in a baby bottle, please. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, what else do you want? No, that's it. That's it. You know, what would the waiter's response be? It's like, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? What's, what's, what is this? Now, if, if, you're, if you're two months old and you need some milk, it's like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. That's fine. But when you're an adult and you go to that steakhouse, what are you expected? Or you want a nice, thick, juicy steak. You want a baked potato with butter and sour cream. You want some green beans there. All right, so, so in other words, if you're a baby, yeah, it's fine if you just have the milk and maybe some pureed squash. But as you grow, as you mature, you move on to other things. You move from the pureed whatever to the steak and potatoes to the meat of God's word. So in faith, after conversion, when you are a baby in Christ, Yes, it's understandable that you don't get these things. But you are then to build upon the elementary principles of the gospel and dive into the depths of Christ's person and work. The problem is when somebody says, well, all that matters is that God loves me. And all this other stuff, I don't need that. It's like, wait a second, then you're still a baby in Christ. That's not the natural process of life. You don't remain a baby. If the baby doesn't grow in, you know, if the baby doesn't grow physically, if the baby doesn't grow mentally, then there's a problem. And you're going to get all sorts of doctors involved and therapists involved and because there's a problem. So also in the Christian life, if you're not growing in your knowledge of God, then there's a problem. The author of Hebrews says we need to be skilled in the work of righteousness, he says, in the word of righteousness, skilled. If you've never you know, held a hammer, you've never used a saw, you've never used a tape measure or any of those things, you know, you're not, you, nobody's going to expect you to be able to just build a nice house. A beautiful house with all the intricate uh, you know, work done on the inside. You're not going to be able to do that. You've got to train yourself. You've got to build yourself up to where you can build nicely. You can use the tools properly. And you can put together something great and wonderful. You, you get to the point where you are skilled in building. So also the author of Hebrews says we need to put the work in. We need to be then skilled in the word of righteousness. In other words, as the scripture says elsewhere, we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman does not need to be shamed, who is able to rightly interpret, rightly divide the word of truth. So this teaching about Melchizedek in chapter 7 that comes up later, there are other things that come up later in the book of Hebrews. This is the meat. This is the meat and potatoes of the word of God. And you need it. You need it. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I don't think so. Doctrine's boring. We don't need Doctrine. You know, doctrine divides, Christ unifies, all we need to do is love Jesus, nothing else matters. Doctrine is boring, I don't need that. Many people will actually say that doctrine is actually bad for your soul. It leads to some sort of lifeless orthodoxy, and that can happen. That's not what the author of Hebrews is pushing for, though. People say doctrine is bad for the soul. They'll say Christianity is about Jesus, it's not about dogma. You know, it's, it, it, Christianity is a life, not a belief. 
course, the Bible nowhere allows us to separate the doctrine of God from devotion to God. The Bible never allows us to separate belief and behavior. Orthodoxy, believing right things about God, and orthopraxy, living in a right way for God. These things always go hand in hand. Doctrine and duty go together. Also think about this. He's preaching to this congregation, and he says, look, here's the problem. You're spiritually dozing off. All right, these are believers that are suffering. The book of Hebrews talks about that. You've suffered your property, many of you. Your property's been confiscated. You have suffered immensely. And he says, you're actually going to suffer more in the future. You will get to the point where you are suffering to the point of bloodshed. What what do they need then? Oh, maybe they need a self-help group. Maybe they need a 12-step program or something like that. No, no, no. The author of Hebrews says, look, for believers who are suffering, here's what you need. You need more of Jesus. You need to dive into the depths of Christ's person and work. So he gives them a very doctrinal sermon. That's what you should desire. You should desire the depths of the word of God. A lot of people, when they're looking for a church, it's like, well, let's find a church with the best programs. Let's find a church, you know, with the best music. Let's find a church with all the fancy whatever. And and that's what we need. No, no, no. Look for a church that's going to give you the depths of the word of God. You need to desire a whole lot more than God loves you. That's a wonderful plan for your life. You need to desire a whole lot more than kind of a bumper sticker theology that only hits the surface. You need the depths, the meat and potatoes of the word of God. And when you have that, be very thankful for it. Be very thankful for it. Because a lot of churches don't have that. If I listen to a lot of the sermons from Pastor Callan from the book of Leviticus, listen to most of them. All right, that's the, that's the meat and potatoes of the Word of God. When you get that, Leviticus, a book that most people skip over, I don't need that. So when, when you actually get that, you get the whole counsel of God, be thankful for it. Be thankful that you're being fed, not pureed squash and, you know, a warm bottle of milk, but that you're getting the meat. J.F. Packer, he writes, Doctrinal preaching certainly bores the hypocrites, but it is only doctrinal preaching that will save and grow Christ's sheep. The preacher's job is to proclaim the faith, not to provide entertainment for unbelievers. In other words, the preacher's job is to feed the sheep rather than amuse the goats. That's what the preacher Hebrews is doing here. He's feeding the sheep. Doctrinal preaching is what's needed. Reformation came to Switzerland back in the 1500s through the doctrinal preaching of Zwingli and Calvin. Reformation came to Germany through the doctrinal preaching of Martin Luther. An awakening came to New England in the 1700s through the doctrinal preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. So their preaching of the deep truths of God's word, their preaching of the deep things of God, that brought about something of everlasting value, something that was, was of eternal significance, the salvation of souls, the growth of believers. All right, the flimsy, you know, namby-pamby preaching that you're going to hear with most TV preachers, that's going to do nothing of eternal significance. You know, if any, you know, self-professed Christian author, you know, if their books are selling massively, you know, bestsellers at Walmart or something, that's probably not good. Okay, because they're probably giving you something that's just, you know, tickling the ears of the hearers. You know, entertaining, as Packer says, the goats, not feeding the sheep. If you want something of eternal significance, then look for the deep truths of the word of God. So in other words, as Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Use your mind. Now also, when you take in the truths of the word of God, you need a balanced diet. You want to grow up. 
Right? You want to go from being a baby in Christ to a mature adult in Christ? You need a balanced diet of the Word of God. I had a friend many years ago, and uh, uh, really, I don't think was concerned at all about the things of the Lord. And whenever I talked to him about uh, his spiritual state, you know, I'd ask him, well, you know, are you reading your Bible? And he'd say, oh, yeah. I'd say, well, what are you reading? And it didn't matter. You could ask him in March. You could ask him in July. You could ask him two years later, what are you reading? And he'd always say the same thing. Well, I'm reading the Psalms. Why did he say that? Well, he said that because that's really all he knew to say. Now, this is not a critique of the Psalms at all. The Psalms are filled with wonderful, glorious doctrinal truths. All right? But that's all he knew to say. He wasn't reading it. I don't, I don't think he was even reading the Psalms. But let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, he was actually reading the Psalms. Okay, well, that's good. But listen, that's not sufficient. I think a lot of Christians, they're comfortable in the Psalms, and they're comfortable maybe in the Gospels, and perhaps even throw Philippians in there. But the rest of it, like, well, I don't know. You know, we, you know Romans maybe once in a while. Definitely not Leviticus. <laughs> definitely not Deuteronomy. First Chronicles, I don't know about that. You know, you know, number, I don't know about that stuff. You know, if, if we're going to grow, we need a balanced diet of the Scriptures. You want to grow physically, you need meat, vegetables, fruits, and grains so also in the word of God, we need it all. That's why Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, look, I've proclaimed to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't just give you what you wanted to hear. I gave you what you needed, and that is all of God's word. So you need the prophets and the apostles, the historical books and the gospels, the poetic books and the epistles, all of it. Think about when Jesus was led out into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. Each time he's tempted, he quotes the scriptures. And what's he normally quote? He quotes the book of Deuteronomy, a book most people skip over. Jesus found strength in Deuteronomy. The New Testament authors frequently quote from Leviticus. In fact, many theologians will tell you you can't understand the book of Hebrews unless you really know the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is alluded to often in the New Testament. The minor prophets are often quoted in the New Testament. So we need all of the word of God so that we are not, as he says, unskilled in the word of righteousness, so that we're not theological novices spiritual babies. These believers did not know how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and not because they were unintelligent, but because they were sleepy. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people in the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. He's saying you should be ready, but you're not. So get your mind in gear. And then he gives them, we don't have time to dive into it today, but in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. His point is not that we forget about the fundamentals of the faith. There are depths to verses 1 to 3. Again, we're not going to dig into now, but the point is not that you forget about it. The point is that you, you have it and then you move on from it. You build on top of it to other glorious truths of God's word. Thomas Schreiner writes in his great commentary on Hebrews, he says, they should never leave the foundational teachings behind precisely because they're fundamental. On the other hand, such teachings should be the basis and platform for further growth. I like the way John Piper kind of illustrates the message of the text. You know cattails. You ever go to a beaver pond or some sort of a marshy area? Cattails, these little things growing out of the ground with like a kind of a brown stem on them. And, and uh, uh, cattails, you could easily, I think, even with two fingers, pull them out of the ground. They don't have a lot of depth to their roots. They're not, they're not very deep, not very wide. 
So cattails could be pulled right out. Now, not with all your might, though. If you go to a full-grown oak tree, not with all your might could you pull that oak tree out of the ground. And Piper's point is you can either be a cattail Christian with no depth at all, or you can be an oak tree Christian. An oak tree, its roots are deep and wide. In other words, you can be a baby in Christ all the time, or you can do what the author of Hebrews says and press on to maturity. Now, if you're a new believer and you are a cattail Christian now, that's fine. But the author of Hebrews says, move on from it. Press on to maturity. Keep growing. And so he says to them, look, you know the basics, but you're starting to forget these things. You're not moving on from them. All right. You know the basics, but you've got to grow from it. This is the goal then that we strive for, verse 14 of the text, but solid food. That's what we aim for. All right. It'd be great if in life all you needed to do to be healthy and to be, you know, uh, mature, all, all you needed was, was uh, cotton candy and ice cream. Okay, that'd be great, but you, you, you need more. We need solid food. That's for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, the person who actually understands the things of Scripture well can put things together, can see how Leviticus relates to the gospel itself, how the book of Deuteronomy or how the Exodus relates to the work of Jesus Christ, people who see these things because they've grown up into spiritual maturity. Now, it takes work. He says in the text, trained by constant practice. There's no way around it. Spiritual maturity comes through being not a slumbering sluggard, but a hard worker in the word. Training constantly, he says. Are you training yourself in the word? Some people are very hard workers in the workplace. But when it comes to the things of God, they're absolutely going to sleep. Do you listen intently to the word of God? Do you read with intentionality the scriptures? Do you pray with intentionality that you would grow up in the things of God? Or are you just slumbering away before the word of God? You see, you are to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 12 to 16, he says that the pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says, so that they may come to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So he's saying, live in the word. The preacher, he was saying, live in the word, grow in the word, because Christ is your Lord. He is your savior. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. That's the fundamental truth of the gospel. Build on top of it, grow from it, and see how all the scriptures then point you to that. The work, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you have not believed This truth that Jesus died on the cross for sinners, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus offers forgiveness, that Jesus is is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're not a Christian, then the Bible calls you to trust in the Lord. Then you become a new baby in Christ. You put your faith in the Lord, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So become a newborn baby in Christ and then throughout the rest of your life on this earth, grow in the wonders of who Jesus is, in the glories of what Jesus has done. And if you are a believer, you've been a believer for a long time, and you're thinking about your own self right now, and you say, well, you know what? 
I actually am a baby in Christ, even though I've been saved for decades. That shouldn't be the case. What do I do? Well, don't wallow there in your own self-pity and misery. Press on, the author of Hebrews says, to maturity. Say, okay, I'm done with that. I've been given a wake-up call. All right, somebody's given me that most grievous prick upon the heart, so I am now going to wake up to the things of God. I will dive into these glorious truths of the Scripture for the honor and glory of God. This is not so that you can be smarter than the other person. This is not so that you can win a debate. This is not simply for the satisfaction of your own intellectual curiosity. It's so that you might know Christ more. And the more you know Christ, the more you love Christ. And the more you can communicate Christ to others for the honor and glory of God. So let us do that then for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you have given us your truth in the Bible, in your word. And Lord, you didn't have to. We're not worthy. We're sinners. You didn't have to reveal yourself to us. But you have given us not just a little bit, but you have given us this whole Genesis through Revelation. You have shown us Christ in all of it. And Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. I pray that we would dive into the truths of your word, that we would dig deeply into uh, your gospel that you have given to us. You've given us Christ. I pray that we would want to know Christ more and more each day, not for ourselves, but for his honor and glory. And we pray that if someone is here right now and doesn't know Christ the Savior and Lord, that even today they'd cry out with the tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that they would be saved from their sins, become a newborn baby in Christ. We pray that this would all be done for your honor and glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Taylor Callen, pastor of Oregon Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon. I pray that you are more encouraged and love Jesus and the gospel more after hearing the sermon than when you first sat down to listen to it. Know that that our heart at this church is that this sermon would be an encouragement to you and would be a useful resource, but would in no way replace the pastor that God has called to shepherd you or the church that you're called to be a member of. With that being said, if you want more information about our church or want to hear more sermons, go to horicanbaptist.com.